Our gracious Father, we give you thanks for your word and the way in which it reminds us that you are a wonder-working God, that you would stop at nothing to save your people from their bondage to a wicked king, to their slavery in Egypt, and that this great deliverance is a picture for us of our great deliverance, our deliverance from slavery to sin and bondage to decay. Thank you that we have your word that gives a sure testimony that just as these things happened in Egypt, just as Jesus himself died on the cross, so he will come again and deliver us and take us home. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we come to the preaching of your word. We pray that you would give us attentive hearts. We know there are many things that distract us, but we pray that you would take away those distractions so that we might focus on your word, your word of life. And we ask, too, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, showing us the truth, showing us the truth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask these things, not for our own sake, but that we might glorify you with all of our thoughts and all of our deeds, all of our words, everything that we do pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you keep your Bibles out and turn just a few books ahead, we're continuing in the book of Joshua. We're now in Joshua chapter 3, and it's titled, Israel Crosses the Jordan. They have made preparations. They have spied out the land, and now they are preparing to cross this great river. So let's hear then the word of God, Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about two thousand cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of God, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, 
The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. God's word. <clears throat> One of the things that our family has been enjoying a little bit in our spare time has been watching some K-dramas, some Korean dramas. We're willing to put up with the subtitles to uh, watch some of these romantic stories. And as I was uh, watching, and as we've watched a few of them, one of the things that we've noticed is that many of the stories have similarities. And there's certain connections that they make and certain ways in which, even though the people are different, even though the places are different, that some of the stories are the same. And one of the things that they like to do in these K-dramas as they bring two people together, as they bring two people together in this love story, is to remind you as the person watching that they have seen each other before, that maybe when they were younger, they actually met at a time in a beach in a particular town. Sometimes there's pictures around and you go, who are, who's that little boy and girl in the picture? And later on in the story, you realize, well, it's these two people that are now being brought together in this love story. Well, the Bible is similar in the sense that many of the accounts and stories that we have in the Bible are repetitions. And there's elements of those stories that are repeated again and again. And maybe you heard it or saw it here as we read this account of Israel at the Jordan, right? The people, the previous generation, had crossed the Red Sea. They had not crossed the Red Sea on boats. They'd not constructed rafts for themselves to bring their animals and their children across. No, God had done a great miracle. He had divided the waters and Israel had passed over on dry ground. And that's what we see here is this new generation comes to the River Jordan. God, too, does a miracle. They pass over the river on dry ground. Joshua 1, we saw that repetition in a way. It was Joshua, right, the new leader of Israel. He's the new Moses. Moses is dead. Now there's a new leader. But in many ways, Joshua is a leader like Moses. We saw last week as Rahab and the salvation coming to this Gentile house is something of a reenactment of the Passover, something that had first been celebrated 40 years before in Egypt by the Israelites. And now we come to Israel, in a sense, reenacting God doing a miracle again, delivering them like he did at the Red Sea. 
Something else you might have noticed as we read through this text tonight is there's a couple of words that are repeated often. One of them is this phrase, passing over. In fact, you find it nine times here in this one chapter. They're passing over the Jordan. A couple times it's uh, they went over, or where, when the uh, leaders, they came and they went throughout the camp. They passed through the camp. But that phrase is repeated again and again. And also the word to know. What do they need to know in order that they might obey God and pass over? And so what I want you to see tonight as we look at this text is that passing over this raging river requires a steadfast faith. For the Israelites, this was no easy task. It wasn't just assumed that they could easily ford the Jordan, go across the river and be next to Jericho to defeat it. No, it was a raging river and it required a steadfast faith to pass through. It was a faith that needed to say, God goes before me. We're going to see that here in this text tonight, God going before Israel. They needed to know that God was going with them as well. He wasn't just saying, go on ahead, go on without me. No, God was going with them. He was present with Israel. And they also needed to know and see that God was a God who could do wonders, just like he had done in Egypt with the plagues, just like he had done at the Red Sea, dividing the waters, just as he had done for 40 years, providing manna in the wilderness. God was with them. So as we think about the faith of the Israelites, let me just tell you about how we see faith and how the Reformers and the Bible look at faith, this faith that we are called to have in God, not just generally, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the reality that this faith, it has these three elements, these three aspects of it that help us to understand what's going on in the text. First, there's a knowledge, right? We have to know something. To have faith in Jesus, we need to know something about him, who he was, what he did. There's the knowledge, and then there's the assent. We need to have a conviction, a conviction that it's true. What we read in the Bible about Jesus, what we read in the Bible about this crossing of the Jordan, that it really is true that God's word, the content of our knowledge is true. That's the ascent. But then there's also trust. Because if we have those things, it doesn't call us to action. But we need to have trust. It's a personal trust in Jesus. Faith is a going, it's a trusting, a trusting of ourselves in the hands of God. And that's what we see in Israel here. They don't only know who God is, they not only believe that that's true, but they put themselves in God's hand, they obey, and they pass over the Jordan. So we're going to see this in Three points tonight. First, preparing by faith in the first six verses. Then perceiving by faith. That's kind of that knowledge aspect. And then finally, passing over by faith, the obedience. And we'll see that they do just as God has called them to do. So preparing by faith. There's an obstacle here, right? They are on 
the east side of the Jordan. They are outside the promised land. But God is calling them to pass over and to go in. And there's kind of a a connection here because we see them coming near the river, lodging by its banks before they pass over, but it's not till verse 17 at the very end of the chapter that they do. And the question before our minds, and the question really for any reader of this text would be, is it going to be different? Is it going to be different for this generation? Because this is a new generation of Israelites. Their fathers, everyone 20 years old and older at the time of the Exodus, died in the wilderness. They were buried there in the desert. This is a new generation, and the question is, will things be different for this generation than the last? We know God is faithful. We know God can make a way, and they have heard the stories of God making a way for their fathers to deliver them from Egypt. But how will they go over? It's not just about going over, but how will they go over? Will they fear? Will it be with trepidation? Will they be people complaining, as their fathers did all through those wanderings in the desert? Or will they go over by faith? So the question is, what do they need to know? And God is going to provide that for them wonderfully. I've mentioned, I think, before in the sermons how when we were living back in Haiti and I was ministering there, a couple times a month I would travel over to the island of Lagonav by boat. And on Saturday mornings, before I would go over, usually I could look off my deck through the trees and I could kind of see the ocean out there. And even if it was a little bit choppy, you might see a few little white caps out there on the ocean, but it generally looked pretty good. It was looking at it from a distance. It's blue, the skies are clear, it looks nice. And then I would make my way down to the wharf, and as you got right to the wharf at the edge, sometimes you'd realize, boy, it's a little bit rougher than I thought. The ferry's there tied up to the dock, but it's kind of bouncing up and down, and as the smaller boats go off, you see them going up and down over the waves, and you realize it was a little bit more of an obstacle than I thought. And I think maybe it's like that for the Israelites, right? They rose early in the morning, the text says, and they set out from Shittim. It was a distance away from the Jordan. And from a distance, maybe that river didn't look that big. From a distance, if they could see the city of Jericho, it was just a speck in the distance. The walls didn't look very high from where they were looking. But they needed to know that God was going to go with them. But they come down near, and at the end of three days, the text says, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. They needed to know that God was with them. And how were they going to know that God was with them? Well, the ark was there. The ark, that representation of the presence of God that sat in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, the priests were going to carry it and it was going to go on ahead of them just as the pillar of cloud and fire had gone on ahead of them there in the desert. God was going ahead of them. 
He wasn't just sending them to go off on their own, to make their own plans, to figure out their own way across this river. No, God was going with them. And the ark, what's in there? Tablets are in there, the covenant of the Lord, the steadfast promises of God that he would be with his people. The jar of manna reminding the people that God had provided for them in the desert. That branch that had budded, reminding them that God had chosen his priest Aaron and that God was going to be with them even though it seemed probably crazy, they knew that God was with them. Verse 4 says, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Now, why was it that they had to stand at a distance? Certainly, it was because of the holiness of God. That's true. They were not worthy to come near God. And it was a representative of holiness. But there's more to it there, because listen to what the text says. Do not come near it. There are to be about three quarters of a mile off. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. They don't know where they're going. They've been wandering around in the desert. God has always gone before them, told them where to go. But they have never been to this land. They have never crossed the Jordan River. God is going to lead the way, as he always does. Right? Think of Jesus, the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? He leads the way. He doesn't just push from behind. He takes them where they need to go, and so it is with God. And Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. This is what the people also needed to know. They needed to know that they were serving a God who generation after generation continued to do these kinds of wonders. In our church memory work, we're memorizing Psalm 111. And it's interesting, isn't it, that that psalm, I think, in many ways, references back not just the deliverance from Egypt, not just the people passing through the Red Sea, but even this event. And it's a reminder that God does wonders for his people. Verse 4, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Israel needed to know. We need to know too, don't we? The wonders that God has done. He has sent redemption to his people. And it's connecting, of course, this Red Sea crossing is connecting back a generation to God's great deliverance where he delivered them from slavery out of Egypt. He delivered them from the army of Pharaoh. They crossed on dry land through the Red Sea. I read that earlier in Exodus chapter 3, verse 20, even before God does his mighty works as he speaks to Moses, he says, So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. But there's an even greater wonder than what we see happening here at the banks of the Jordan River. And there's a connection made for us in the Psalms. 
in Psalm 118. And if you read the English, it may not be exactly apparent, but it's the same word that we find back there in Joshua chapter 3. In verse 22, he says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the Lord's doing. It is wondrous in our eyes. And who's it talking about? You see, all of these events of the Old Testament, all of these great deeds of God are pointing us to the great redemption that's going to come in Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter does in Acts chapter 2 as he preaches on that first Pentecost day in Acts chapter 2 verse 22, that Jesus is that man. He's that stone the builders rejected. He is that wonderful one, the one who saves his people from their sins. So these are some of the things that the people have to know as they prepare by faith. But of course, they have to go from knowledge, right, to trusting. They have to know these things, know what God has done, but now they have to trust by faith and walk. And that's what we see them beginning to do in verse 6. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The leaders are going. Will the people follow? Well, secondly, we see this perceiving by faith. And one of the things that you realize as you read, particularly this text, because in a couple of weeks when we come to chapter 4, you're going to realize there's some repetition here. right? They, they've already got across the Jordan, it seems, in chapter 3, but then Joshua is going to go back and talk about some other things that were important in the crossing. And we see that the author's primary concern is not so much the chronology, though it's true and it's real history, but it's really its theological reflection on what is happening here to the people of Israel so that we might understand it better. But again, what do they need to know? They also need to know in verse 7 that Joshua is the leader God has chosen. Today, God says to Joshua, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Just as God is with his people, so God is with his leader. He was with Moses. He's going to be with Joshua. He's going to help him as he leads the people across the Jordan. So the priests go. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, we've already read the text, and so in one way, right, there's not a whole lot of suspense for us. But to a reader who maybe didn't know the end of the story, the suspense is building because later on, down in verse 17, we have that parenthetical comment. Now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. It's not just this gentle little stream that they can cross. They can't go to the traditional fords across the Jordan because it's this mile-wide river full of thorns and brambles. The priests are called to have faith to go and to put their feet into the Jordan. 
have to consider, don't they? They have to consider, is God going to be faithful? Again, when I used to travel out to the churches on Lagonav, I have this uh, four-wheel ATV that you can sit in, the Kawasaki Mule, and it's a great vehicle, but there's a specific stretch on the island of Lagonav. You first go over these very rocky roads, and even when it rains, they stay pretty clear, even though it's rough. But then you come to this flat area on the island, and when it rains, it becomes this pit of mud. And I would drive up over the rocky areas and come up, and I can see this stretch of just water and mud. And I kind of stop, and I need to think to myself, am I going to be able to make it to the other side? I certainly don't want to make it halfway and then get stuck. But what do I do? I go, well, I've done it before. I know this vehicle in four-wheel drive with a differential lock, it's going to make it through even 18, inch, 18 inches of mud. You need to know those things and then go and do it. And that's what the priests have done. They believe that God is going to do, he is able to do a miracle. Joshua said to the people, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he shall without fail drive out before you all of these tribes that are listed here. You see how gracious God is in just giving the people reminder after reminder that he is faithful, and because God has commanded them to go across, he is going to give the means to do it. You can have this faith because God has gone before you. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Again, who goes first? Not the women and children, not the animals, not the strong warriors, but the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, God goes first before them. They go down into the Jordan River. They go down into the Jordan River, and God does his wonders. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Again, it's connecting us, reminding us to go back to the crossing of the Red Sea. For those priests standing at the Jordan, it was a reminder for them. Just as God divided the Red Sea and they stood in a heap. In the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, as they sang the song of deliverance, here is what we read. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea and they walked through they were being reminded that just as God had done this before, he's going to be faithful to do it again. But as we go back and we're reminded that this is a, a repeat, in a sense, of that Red Sea crossing, we need to really take it forward to see, well, what does this matter? Why is this so important? 
And it's important because of the way in which the New Testament authors describe particularly that Red Sea crossing and by extension its repetition there at the Jordan River. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is speaking of the example of the Israelites of that first generation. And in these first few verses, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And so I would say to you that part of what's happening here, the image that Paul uses of the Israelites, is they are being, in effect, baptized as they go through the Red Sea. And baptism itself, Paul says in another place in Romans 6, is an image of first our death as we go under the waters and then the resurrection as we come out. It's a death for us to sin, a death to ourselves in our own way, looking to God. But then it's a resurrection because he gives us new life, just as he's going to do for the Israelites. He's going to bring them into the promised land. You might say in a way, it's like they've been dead in the wilderness for 40 years, and now God is going to bring them to life as he brings them through the Jordan River. Even Luke, in Luke chapter 9, at that great event, the transfiguration on the mountain, what does he say? He sees, the disciples see Jesus there speaking with Moses and Elijah, and they're speaking about Jesus' coming departure from Jerusalem, his exodus. You see, it's all pointing us to Jesus. It's pointing us to his death and resurrection. The crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan is just a type pointing us to the reality that we first must die and then be raised in Jesus through faith in Jesus, even as he goes before us. So what happens? Well, they pass over by faith. So the people, verse 14, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. We're back now to the actual crossing. God has given them everything they needed. He has shown them who he is, who he was, who he is today for them, that he is with them. He has said these words are true. Now they need to believe and show that they trust in him. And it seems impossible, doesn't it? Again, that parenthetical comment. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. They had come to the banks of the Jordan River, it would seem, at exactly the wrong time. Of course, in God's providence, it's exactly the right time for to show his great wonders, his great power in delivering his people. They've come to the edge now. But it's not just a small river. They've got women and children. They've got animals. They've got 
carts, there's 600,000 men, probably a couple million people. There's no way they're going to be able to cross. But God does the miraculous. He is faithful. He stops the water up in a heap very far away. And he brings them over. He brings them over into the promised land. But notice, too, the other connection back to the Red Sea there in verse 17. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. You see, God wasn't content to just let them go through ankle-deep water but he made a way. It was dry ground. This was their way. Just as at the Red Sea, Exodus 14, 29, they crossed over on dry ground. He was showing them their power as the creator of the heavens and the earth. Who was it at the creation who divided the waters from the dry land? It was God who did that by the word of his power. And so here, too, by the word of his power, he divides the waters. He stops up the waters so that the people can cross on dry ground, making a way for them. It reminds me of that wonderful text in Isaiah chapter 40, as God brings these words of comfort to his people, his people who are in exile, who are in dire straits, away from their homes, but God predicting that he was going to deliver them. And in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the, in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. You see, God is making a way. He is making a way for his people to walk in, to take them all the way to glory. There are no half measures here. But God is saving his people. And of course, Isaiah chapter 40, we know from the New Testament, is speaking of Jesus. For John the Baptist is the one who goes before proclaiming the Messiah has come, who is going ultimately to make that way straight, to allow the people to cross over on dry ground. So was it different? Was the faith of this wilderness generation different? Yes, it was. They had a faith that looked back to the crossing of the Red Sea. They had a faith that looked forward to the sure inheritance. If God could bring them across the Jordan River, across that barrier, surely God could give them the land. But it was also a faith for that particular day as they saw that obstacle and some of them said, humanly speaking, this is impossible. But God said, yes, I can make a way. I don't know what makes you anxious? Is it something big? Maybe it's just a whole bunch of small things. But God goes before, just as he went before the people of Israel. God goes with us. 
And God calls us to a living faith, a faith that knows who God is, a faith who knows that what the Bible proclaims is true, and a faith that trusts in him to walk, to put our feet into the Jordan River, knowing that he will go with us. Even if that fear and anxiety is death itself, because that's the gospel. The good news is that Jesus has gone before. He has gone through that deep river. In a way, we might say the waters didn't part for him. The waters of judgment fell on him just as they fell on the army of Pharaoh so that we might pass over and we might be with him forever. It's like the words of that great hymn, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction land me safe on Canaan's side. That's the promise. Because there was an exodus from Egypt, the people going to the promised land. But Jesus' exodus reminds us, his crossing reminds us, the death and resurrection, that we have life in him so gives us hope for that final exodus, whether it will be our death, whether it will be our changing into a glorious body when Jesus returns, but freedom from our bondage to decay, from sin, from the presence of sin, to be with God in glory in that promised land, the promised land that he was leading Israel into. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your grace and your love toward us. We give you thanks that you always give us reminders of your great deliverance. We thank you for delivering us from our sin and misery, that you have done so much already in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet even as we wait by faith for his return, we pray that you would bid our anxious fears subside, that we would know you as the true and living God who is faithful to his covenant, and so we would live for you. Take these words, apply them to our hearts so that we might live as true, faithful believers empowered by the Holy Spirit even this week. We ask it all in Jesus' name.